it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, and how to get your work noticed and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you as well as a few of my own and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee, maybe your paint water, a glass of wine, and join me over in my sunny windowsill. lovelies. Happy new podcast drop. I am very excited about this week's guest. Susie Altman is joining me. And if you don't know her art, I think you will be delighted to learn more about Susie and the wonderful world that she creates. A little bit more about Susie. She has been creating toys and books for friends and family since childhood. She's an illustrator, a product designer, a toy creator, and bookmaker of sophisticated and simple objects that inspire and delight young and old alike. Make time for play is the main philosophy behind everything Susie does as an artist. Her signature products celebrate play, creativity, connection, and community in the world around us. And if you poke around on her website, which is Susie, S-U-Z-Y-Altman.com. You will find out a lot more about her as well as some of the amazing clients she has done work for. Her story is such an inspiring one. She went to school for graphic design, but then kind of fell into the world of illustration and has really worked hard to get where she is, but she does it because she believes in it. And we talk so much about that and so many more things. Knowing yourself, telling your story, learning to trust your gut, getting comfortable with taking risks, getting comfortable with putting yourself out there, the value of play and self-care and standing up for what you know you believe in and is your story. So without further ado, here is the lovely, lovely Susie Altman. Susie, it's so great to have you on. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you today. It's like all snowy outside and I get to be inside hanging out with you. Uh, I love that. It's perfect. You know, I I just have been such a fan of your art for so long. And I I feel like I met you kind of early on in, well, not early on in, in, in the, our careers because we've been doing this for a while, but like yeah. I've, we've known about each other for a while. And, and so it's been really fun to just kind of like, what's Susie doing now? Oh my gosh, look Uh, at this great new product and, and kind of where your path has been. And, and, you know, every once in a while getting a little something in the mail from you that was just like, oh my gosh, I just love your style. I love what you put out into the world and I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I have warm fuzzies when I think about you. Cause I, I'm pretty sure we met at one of Lila's retreats like ages ago. And those were such magical times because we got to all come together and be creative and hang out and talk about ideas and feel like validated in what we were doing. (laughs) Honestly, you know, getting together with other people and (laughs) Susie and I have been talking for a while before we press record because we just hadn't caught up in a while, but Getting together in that way, I feel like it was the one where we carved stamps out of potatoes, and Lila had oh, just yeah. gotten her embroidery <laughs> machine, and yeah. right. it was so fun. Yeah, we, we all went away with potato tattoos. Yeah, and we got to go and hang out. Did we hang out by the water that time? She was by a really pretty lake. Yeah, it had it was... good food and good people, and yeah, yeah, it's um. I don't think you can do this job on your own. I think you need all of that, those breaks where you see people, as we were talking about, that understand you and speak your language and inspire you and just that actual like human connection. Um, I do love Zooming with people and chatting online, but it's there's nothing like being together in person and really connecting, um, you know, 
It's really true. I, I, I often think, you know, that like when you were little and used to have summer parties or when you go somewhere and you're, it's that waking up, coming downstairs, maybe in your pajamas or whatever, and having coffee that's starting your day with other people that you're like, okay, this is it. Cause you, you're not, you're just starting out. You conversations happen in that space that wouldn't happen in any other space. So you just gave me such a great visual, like thinking of the sleepovers. It's definitely that it's, and it's a, and this is part of my, like where I pull from when I work, but it's that kid's space. Like it's that joy and your armor comes down and, um, yeah, I, I'm going to take that with me. I love that so much. Well, well, I guess we need to have a retreat. <laughs> I think we do. <laughs> That's why we can plan that. I know. Yeah. I, I just, it's true. And I, and I love that you said it's that kid space because your work, um, is so joyful, playful, um, kid friendly, but it brings for, for anybody looking at it, it, I feel like it takes us to that place, right? It's like, oh yeah, it's permission to to yeah. smile and feel good and and remember that, oh, remember all those great stickers I collected or whatever those things were. And it's just like, it's good permission. Thank you. Yeah, it's always brought me so much joy to just like, just to, to bake, to like cut out things and make things with my kids. Like when they were little, we do forts, like just getting out like all the blankets and pillows and figuring out how to lay them out. I mean, any giant box we got, we'd make into like a pirate ship or, you know, something. And, and it, it's really my happy space. So when I gave myself permission to like do that as my focus and as my job, which was kind of when I, when I left Lilla's agency, um, it was very, it was sad saying goodbye to people I've been with for so long, but it was also exciting and scary. Cause I knew I was just taking this leap where I was, it was just going to be me directing what I was doing. And I had recognized that through my time at the agency, all the projects that I really was pulled towards and felt the most joy from were the kids projects. Mm. And I like, and, and because of that, those were the ones that were like getting the most attention and doing well and all of that. So I'm like, you know, what? I'm just going to focus on kids. Mm. Um, maybe it's a risk. Be- like I had no idea at the time. I'm like, maybe it's a risk because it's just like one category and it's very specific, but it gave me um, focus. And it also was, it's what I do well. Like I didn't, I think sometimes we what's the saying? Like when we're, we're like our own worst enemy, like we kind of, we think too hard about things. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I was overthinking what I should be doing. And I'm like, I love to do this stuff. I love to play. Sometimes the way I approach my creativity is like different than other people. Or sometimes it feels like I have to go around the block a couple of times because I do still work a lot by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's an integral part of my creative process because it's where I feel like I create the best. Um, and so certain parts of the process might take me longer than if I'm just like pulling out, you know, procreate and like drawing it there. Um, but I'm, but that's where I get my inspiration. So I think it's actually like, I've just made it an important part of the process. Um, and try not to worry too much about time. (laughs) Well, yeah, that sometimes that's a luxury, but I feel like if you know yourself well enough or listen and say like, no, this part of the process is actually going to get me an end result that I like more or, yeah. you know, whatever that answer might be. But I I think that giving yourself permission to do it the way that you like is, yeah. is just part of it. Cause often we're, we think we should be doing it some way based on what yeah. we see or, or maybe a timeline or whatever, but then it's, it's like, I, I really feel like the more we can sink in and let ourselves create to create, the yeah. better that end result's going to be. Absolutely. So I do make sure I, I like put time aside just to play for me and not for work. So I can create that. So when I come to do it for, when I go to do it for work, it's more natural. And also like, if I think a bit back, there was, I had, um, I was teaching a class to some college students. They were like, I think they were sophomore illustrators. And I remember telling them like during that 
the the process, the, the concept process, like whether you're sketching or, you know, cutting things out or whatever, like spend as much time as you can there because once the concept's chosen, like you're going that direction. So mm-hmm. like get it all out, enjoy it, like think about all the things you can. And so I think I try to, I don't think I realize that till I articulated it to them. Um, so I do try to spend, um, like manage my time so I can spend the most time there or as much time as po- as I have possible, because there's so many exciting things that can happen in that moment. Um, not that there aren't things that happen like along the process, but that is your time to just like go crazy. And my um, formal degree is in graphic design. And I was taught in graphic design that you present people with what they asked for, something slightly different, and then something mm-hmm. like totally that they wouldn't expect. So yeah. I still present like that um, when I'm when I'm presenting to clients. So I like to have time to just like explore all those spaces. That's such a good thing to remember. I started out in a graphic design degree where I went to school and then they got rid of the degree and I stayed at the school. So I, but I remember I had not thought of that in a long time, that presenting expected slightly with a twist. And then I, it's, Oh, that's such a good thing to do because then you're, I always believe in leading the witness really and showing that's how in the, um, product development jobs I've had, you know, that, you know, who you're working with, who's going to take the safe option, but if you give them the safe option and show them a couple other that you're like, Oh, they're like, Oh, I never thought about doing it that way. You know, you have, they have to see it. Right. I, I really think that people buy what they see. So if you got to get that idea in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, the graphic design background definitely helped me a lot in my career because it's so much about um, communicating visual information. Not that illustration isn't, but graphic design is, it's everything from like the way you're presenting to how you're presenting. And um, it's so, you know, that, that communication to the client is, is so important at every step of the way. So they understand exactly like they, their expectations are set and you're delivering those expectations. And that definitely comes a lot from my graphic design background. I think that's what helped me early on kind of move pretty quickly into illustration because I hadn't ever drawn for a living before. I hadn't, my, when I started with Lilla, my, my last drawing class had been like my freshman year in college. So I hadn't really been drawing much. Um, so I would leaned really heavily into like how I was getting communicating yeah, the ideas. So that helped huh. me in this first couple of years where I was like basically learning how to draw on hmm. the spot for clients. Oh, that's, you know, and I, I, I love that. It's refreshing to hear. Cause I feel like so often we we look at somebody whose art we love like you or and say like, Oh, they, they must've just come out knowing how to do that. But we, it's about having that paper, that iPad or whatever it is, paintbrush in front of us and using it. And sometimes we are, well, not sometimes often we're learning as we go, especially if it's a new client or a new assignment, it's, you have to figure it out. And that's what keeps things exciting too. Um, I don't ever want to, Wait, I was gonna say I don't ever want to not be learning, but that's like a double negative. I always want to be learning yeah. something. And um it's sometimes it's scary, but I know that feeling inside. Like it's a good kind of scary where you're trying something new and you're like, I don't know what this is gonna look like or where this is going, but that's good because there's so much I do understand. So mm-hmm. kind of walking into that space um is always both exciting and nerve wracking, but I do try to like find those, find those spots to know that I am still learning and growing Um, instead of staying, staying kind of stuck. It's also been really helpful with parenting because kids are always expected to be learning and being thrown into new things all the time. And when they feel anxious or scared it's like easy as an adult to be like oh like it'll be fine but knowing what that feels like it's helpful to relate to somebody who else who's trying something new so um well I I think about them and all the things I had I was like you're gonna need to do this and they'd be really anxious and then so like when I do and I feel like oh my gosh this is how they actually felt inside (laughs) like right it's such a good (laughs) reminder and I feel like as a parent we're learning every day because it's like yeah 
Oh my gosh. For okay. Sure. Well, that's a new one. <laughs> that's a new <laughs> angle. That's a new twist I didn't expect. Today. That could be that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, people might have heard that me say this before, but I remember fighting really hard for to do something that I wanted to do when I was 14 or 15. And my parents were, I was negotiating the heck out of this. And they said, <laughs> they finally like ex- just completely exasp- exasperated, said, Look, we've only been parents for 14 years. I remember thinking, <laughs> What? You have been parents my entire yeah. life. That's what you are. And and yeah. that that I so stuck with me because of that realization of, oh, oh, huh. It's... It was both beneficial because to my negotiating skills, although I didn't get to do what I wanted <laughs> at that time, but also very I saw my parents in a whole different light. And I've thought about it so many times now that I'm parent of a 15-year-old myself. That is, that's amazing. I, yeah, I recently, we had a conversation with my stepdaughter and I told her, I said, you know, can tell her like anything you need to talk to us about? I said, cause you know, we're, we're learning with all of you. Like, this is like, we're walking the path with you. And she's like, what do you have left to learn? And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it was so sweet. It was so, so sweet. That's and it was so also sweet. like, oh my gosh, we have, we're just like learning right in step in yeah. step with you. Um, so. I I have noticed now that I have a teenager, you know, a couple of times, like I was bringing him home from the ferry last night and, and he was like, he was trying to drive a point home where I was like, I know you feel this way, mom, but what are, you know, why, and what are your examples? And I just feel like I know this is the way it is. I was like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> believe, believe it or not that you, your opinion on that might change in the future. You might learn yeah. something else, but anyway. yeah, it's yeah. been, I mean, I think parenting actually has helped me so much <laughs> with my career because it gives you that balance. Like there's um kind of, you know, like the battles you want to pick, like where, where do you want to put your time at the end of the day? Yeah. Um, just my patience level. Uh, oh my gosh. So many things that it's helped me with in all parts of my life, but definitely with um, like client relations and just knowing, yeah, 100%. you know, percent. Yeah, it's 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 been really helpful that way. I have my my kids to thank for that. Yeah. Clients or kids, one way or the other, we're gonna figure it out. Uh you know, you've alluded to your path a little bit, but I'd love to know a little bit about your creative kind of journey and how how you got there. Cause you were saying when you started with Lilla, you were kind of relearning to draw, but how'd you end up learning graphic design and then all of a sudden having an agent and yeah, knowing you wanted to be creative? it's been a, like a lifelong journey. And what's really interesting is when I think back to who I was as a kid, like it, to- it totally makes sense, you know, um, because my whole childhood, I was like, I love making things. Both my parents love to make things. My mom sewed and she baked and I was, I was like, with her in the sewing room, looking at buttons and learning how to stitch things. And before I knew it, I was like making dolls out of like scraps of clothing. And when women used to wear nylons, yeah, <laughs> I oh, take yeah. my mom's old nylons and like stuff them with things and make dolls out of those. And then my dad, he loved to work on his car and he was in the, the wood shop all the time. So he helped me build a dollhouse and he taught oh. me how to like use a little like saw and a hand drill and make furniture. And I'd make like little magazines for the dolls in the dollhouse. And so ever since I was a kid, I was always really happiest when I was making stuff. And then when I started my undergrad um, career at Penn State, I, um, and I was there, my dad was a professor at Penn State. Oh, cool. So I went there for school and I just, I knew I liked numbers. And so I was like, maybe I'll try accounting. And after about a year and a half in accounting, I was really, really unhappy. I was not engaging with the classes at all because I was really unhappy And I was very fortunate um, because my parents had a friend who was an advisor at Penn State, and she happened Mm -hmm. to be an advisor in the School of Arts and Architecture. Oh, wow. And my mom said to me, she's like, why don't you just go and talk to Mrs. Aronson? Like, you don't, we know, we we see that you're not happy. And I don't know if she'll know exactly what you can do, but she might have some ideas. So I went and talked to her and she asked me a lot of great questions. And um, we talked about advertising because it was kind of like parallel. To, I was already in the school of business, but when we went through the class curriculum, it was a lot like business classes. And she's like, well, there's this thing, graphic design. She said, but it, you have to apply to get in. You have to build a portfolio. And I just, I'm like, Tell me, show me the classes. And I did. So um, I 
worked on my portfolio. Like I took like graphic design one and graphic design two and put together a portfolio and I got into the program. So that's how I found my way into graphic design and then graduated, got a job. Um, and then I felt like there's still something that was sort of missing in my creative education. So I decided to go back to grad school and there was a lot of great stuff happening in, um, like on the West coast with like Raygun magazine, like mm-hmm. people doing a lot of really cool things with typography. And I think like, when I think back, I think I was like the illustrator in me was starting to see things that excited me. I wasn't just a graphic designer because I yeah. think a lot of the people, the folks, the designers working in the nineties um, and early two thousands were doing a lot of like illustration with um, layout and typography and all of that draw like new types of typography they were drawing. Yeah, so I went to CalArts. Sure. And, um, I think that's where, like, I started to find my illustration voice through graphic design. And, um, after that moved to, to have like a, went, opened a studio for a couple of years in DC and then went out to Portland, Oregon and worked at Adidas as a graphic designer for t-shirts oh in the gosh. girls group, which was, I learned a lot about trending there. It was great. Wow. Like it was a real education on, um, they would send us, to, we'd get to go to LA and New York every year and like their trend department is mind-boggling really it was so much fun and then do the design work and then my ex and I moved to Amsterdam he um worked for Nike and their European headquarters are out there so had little kids at the time and I did freelance work while I was in um the Netherlands but I also was just kind of taking in like Amsterdam was raising little kids I was very influenced by everything I saw. Um, this is something that still stays close to me today when I would, uh, so my second son was born there. So I had two really small kids and we'd go into their kids stores and the clothing was amazing. Yeah. And you couldn't tell what was for boys and what was for girls. Like yeah. you just walked in and it was just like all this color, yeah. um, beautiful toys. Also things were more expensive, but it was because people bought less. Things were mm-hmm. better made and, and, um, they would buy like one pair of shoes per year. Wow. Um, they were like leather shoes and they would buy like clothes that you could pass down because they didn't fall apart at the time I was living there. They didn't have the gap or anything like that. Yeah. So that kind of stuck with me. And that's definitely still part of like my ethos with how I approach children's um, makes a lot of toys sense. and products today. And then moved back to the States and then I moved to Massachusetts and my very dear friend, Lisa Dijon was being repped by Lilla Rogers. And I still had two small kids. We'd moved a couple of times. I was transitioning them into new schools and Lilla called me or not Lilla, sorry, Lisa called me up and she's like, Hey, my agent's having a class. She's like, do you want to do it with me? And I was like, I haven't taken a class in forever and it's going to be with other artists. So I was like already scared. I'm like, I don't have um, any sort of care for North. Who's my youngest. Like we just moved here. I had like all these reasons in my head not to do it. <laughs> but then I decided, I'm like, I think I need this. Um, and I found a babysitter for North and I sent Lilla. So because Lilla didn't know me, she's like, can you just, send-? she wanted to see if I could actually just like hang in the class. <laughs> she was super gracious, but I totally understand. She's like, Lisa's friend who, yeah. so I sent Lilla some of my work and it was amazing because it was all Lilla's artists at the time that lived in the area. Uh-huh. It was a class on surface design basically. Oh, wow. And, um, I did really well because it was very graphic designy. Like she'd be like, Hey, I want you to do a program for you know, the holidays, like do wrapping paper and tags. And and while some of the artist artists had a more mm-hmm. difficult time with it because it was such like a defined brief. I was like, I understand this language. Like, this yeah. is great. So even though my, my drawing was not to the level it is now, I like knew how to execute patterns and how to do all that stuff. Um, then I took, I think, a, I think we had a second class in person again, like really special time where like Lilla was in a space where we could all come to our studio and work together. And everybody was really so nice. Like everybody was so supportive. Um, and then at the end of the second class, she's asking me if I ever thought of like illustrating or having an agent. And I was like, no, I don't, you know, yeah, (laughs) I have two kids. I don't, I never thought of that. Like I kind of had put the graphic design stuff on pause while the kids were 
really little. And she's like, well, I think I could work on your portfolio with you. So um, we started doing that at the same time I separated from my husband. So there was like a lot going on. It was one of those oh, times in my life. I think a lot, a lot of times we have these points where there's one thing that's like growing and another thing that's maybe fading away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the illustration really sustained me because it gave me a place to work through a lot of what I was feeling. And um, I've talked about this before in other places, but if people are new to conversation with me, my paper doll parade, which was one of my very first projects out of the mm-hmm. gate, mm-hmm. Um, I would sit in my like little studio in my house. I'd get the kids off to school and I'd sit in my studio and I'd draw and I'd cry and I'd draw and I'd cry. Oh, um, but the dolls are all women in my life that yeah. were supporting me at that time that were calling to check on me. So I like, I was really pulling from the support I was getting. Yeah. And then the other project I did for Chronicle at the time is called home sweet home. And they were prints for babies rooms. And there's like a snail in the front with a house mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I was walking around the town that we were living in because we, I knew I was going to have to move mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't afford the house we were in. So it's kind of like saying goodbye to the neighborhood and yeah. drawing, um, there's a lot of the houses that were around the neighborhood and thinking about what home meant for me and yeah. the kids, because things were changing so much. I'm like, home doesn't need to be this house. Like home is us and taking our house with us. So there's the home sweet home also helped me make that transition from the house we landed in a divorce, like changing family to like that next, that next mm. place I was going to be. And I don't think I'd ever used my creativity in that way before. I think that was the first time I'd use that my creativity to heal, to have something to keep me grounded, to give me something to, you know, like imagine what could be next, mm. like all of those things. Um, and then I moved to Columbus to be close to my sister and have some support from family and the boys are with me. So kind of like, really appreciative of having a freelance job where I could be really flexible and know that like I could put them to bed and then work or, you know, just work around their schedules, take them to the things they need their appointments. Yeah. Uh, so I worked really, really hard because I wanted that to be like, I wanted to be able to be there for them and to just have the family life I wanted um, or and needed at that time. So yeah. And then I worked with the agency for I think we were together for like eight or nine years. Maybe we mm-hmm. might have been a touch longer. And I learned so much from them um, about client relations and working with creative people and with them trending and um, all sorts of things. And I got to a point where I just felt like I could see myself like exactly what could be. And I knew that I needed to like kind of grow outside of the agency mm-hmm. since that's all that I had known And I needed to go after the things in my own way and see if I like succeeded or failed in my own space. Um, And just, and, and honestly, what it did was like really push me into really like honing in on my voice and what that was and what I wanted it to be for like the next chapter of my creative career. Mm -hmm. And it was scary. Um, And, you know, sad, but also excited. It's like, you know, all those things like we talked about before those emotions kind of live together sometimes like exciting yeah. and really important for me to do. So I don't know if that answered your question. That was a long answer. Hey, lovely listener. If you are on my email list, you might have gotten an email about what I call shared studio sessions. It's the mastermind that I run just a couple of times a year. And I just wanted to make sure you knew about it and had a chance to check it out. I'm going to start it a little later in the month of February. And it is just my most favorite thing that I do. You know, this life we choose as creatives is one of continual growth, change and unexpected detours. So whether you're just getting started a month and a few weeks into the new year, already rocking and rolling or already feeling like you've dropped the ball, I want to walk with you side by side this year to help you reach your goals. Creativity and isolation only gets you so far, right? That's why we have this podcast. In order to thrive, you need a place where you feel free to be your true self and work towards your goals with like-minded dreamers who just 
get it. So Shared Studio Sessions is back for 2024. I'm not going to go too into all the details here. Otherwise, it could be a whole nother recording. But what it is, is a small group of peers. And we focus on developing, growing and help you flourish in your creative career. Let me know if this sounds like you. You're creating beautiful work. Maybe you don't have what you want to show for it. You've been spending countless hours honing your craft without consistent sales or the right agent. Or you have a big project that you're coming into and you have maybe a book to do or you want to change what your line's looking like or you're just wondering what that next thing is and how to get there. You're not exactly sure where to find the right people. You've got a portfolio you're working so hard on and how do you get it in front of those people? If you're honest, you're just done playing small and not maximizing your potential. You're at a point in your life where you're ready to dive in and do the deep work and you want to build your creative career but you want to do it your way well that's what this shared studio sessions is all about let me give you just a little feedback on what some of the members in our last mastermind had to say i would highly recommend this creative mastermind margo's experience generosity and guidance are truly unsurpassed being a part of a like-minded group who feel and understand the complexities of creative entrepreneurship has been life and career changing i have had the privilege of watching fellow group members start businesses product lines personal services and podcasts these examples help push me to put myself out there. If you'd like to know more about it, go to this link, bit.ly B-I-T dot L-Y backslash shared studio sessions. Or if you're on Instagram, just go to the link in bio. That's B-I-T dot L-Y backslash shared studio sessions. I'd love to see you there. I mean, early on with Lilla and the agency, I really was learning to draw. Like, I didn't really know what my drawing style was. I remember Lilla telling me to make sure, shout out to Lilla, that my yeah. eyes, the eyes on my characters yeah. are very specific yeah. so that people knew it was my work. Uh, and I also had um, a teacher at CalArts who he had come from, like, working as a graphic artist in Detroit in his young youthful, youthful uh-huh. days. And he drew the cars that you'd see in like the ads for like popular mechanics, like when they'd actually oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. And he said, there was like always a lot of times on the side of the car, there'd be like a little like diamond to show that it was shiny. And mm-hmm. he called that a skinkle and a the skinkle, skinkle, skinkle. and the that. skinkle stuck with me. So I started putting skinkles in the, if you look at my early work, a lot of the girls have skinkles in their eyes. And that was like kind of my nod to Ed. Um, and his skinkle. So I would always put a skinkle on a balloon when I, whenever I had to draw a reflection or a window, I never had heard that term. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I think it was like their Detroit, their Detroit (laughs) term for, uh, for like sparkle. Um, so in those first, I would say like five years, I was really learning how to draw and find my voice and like how to deliver drawings to a client on like, in the time, like with the amount of imagination I had versus like what, what I saw in my head and what I could actually get down on a page yeah. because they weren't quite aligned yet. Um, Cause I, I had it all in my head. I just hadn't done that much drawing. So it was like a master class <laughs> getting, getting what was in your you know, head out um, in a way you liked we've it. Done. Yeah. Getting it out, doing it, like working that muscle. Um, and then, you know, when I, did find that and got more in the groove and was able to like actually learn what I could from the studio and then move on. I just decided, as I told you that I like, I need to go after the kids stuff. Like, I think that's really where my heart is. I always love teaching and I love engaging with kids. Like I love, I, I love activities with kids. I love when I get to do a book reading or a craft or something. And um, I've done a bunch of zooms because there's kids are so they're, they're just so open. They just like, they're in the moment. They're who they are. They ask the best questions. Um, they surprise you. So you can like, you, you feel surprised. Like I just, I love engaging with them. So all of that made so much sense to me. Um, and then the journey since then has been kind of like, how do I, there were a couple things that happened during COVID. I was feeling a lot of, um, mixed feelings about making things Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I'm making things for a generation that's growing up on a planet that doesn't have a lot left to give. So I was like, either I can stop making things and figure out like what's next, um, or kind of come up with like a very 
strict set of rules of like, if I'm going to make something like, what does it like, what are those rules I'm living by? Like, I'm not just going to make anything because that would not help that generation. So what can I, how can I make things and feel good about it? So like, I have a kind of a set of rules. I I have a list. Um, so when I work with new clients, I kind of see if that all checks out and it's not just about, um, like, are they sustainable in terms of like, is it made of like FSC wood or, you know, right. how is it being shipped? But it's also like, how many more of these products are in the market? Um, if I'm going to make it like, will my voice be heard so it can bring something new or different to mm. group of people that hadn't seen it before? Is there something I can educate the audience through what I'm doing? So like a, like a bunch of different things that I were important to me. That's um, good questions. Yeah, it's I so, you know, one way like that it plays out is I did some stickers with Uli and they Mm -hmm. make a lot of stickers. Mm -hmm. Um, So they in like talking to them, one of the sticker sheets that they um, came on board with was doing the mini mantras sticker sheets that have these little mantras. And in all of those, I was able to I threw in a little frog that says Shalom. And um, that's like another piece of um, my identity that I've been working on too is, um, being able to reflect Jew- my Jewish identity back mm-hmm. to the world, back to other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that I didn't see gr- growing up when I was a Jewish kid, like I didn't get yeah. to see like fun, playful Jewish stuff out there. It's kind of, it's sort of the, the visuals for, um, like in Jewish pub- publishing, it's changing, but it's been kind of, and any sort of Judaic has been kind of like stuck in the seventies, yeah. mm. um, maybe even the fifties. <laughs> so anyway, so they were, Uli, you know, was cool with the Shalom frog. So it was like a way that if I'm putting out stickers, like I can, um, educate, excite, reflect, you know, bring joy in a way that another illustrator might not be doing it because it's, yeah. you know, closer to my story. So, I mean, it is a little bit of mental gymnastics maybe, but it makes me feel um, more confident with putting that product out there. Cause it might, you know, it might have an effect on somebody in a different way than just making any sticker. Oh my gosh. There's a lot of really important and great layers to this. I think being able to know your, beliefs and what you stand for. And, and, and I like how you said, it's not necessarily, is it PVC free or whatever? Is it right? What else is in the market like this? How many are already out there? Is, is it going to be, am I going to be adding to something in a, in a positive way? But then I love that you add to that, you know, you're discovering how to share yourself in the world. You're discovering more about your heritage and the content you want to put. So when you work with a company like Uli and you say like, it's important to me to make sure some of my Jewish heritage is in this or what, like, how did that conversation go? Or did you just do it? Like, I love that that's a part of it. It feels so important. Right. Right. Um, so for some people, for some clients, it is like a more specific conversation mm-hmm. depending on like the project scope that I'm being presented with like this is what we could do and sometimes like, other people I just slide it in there yeah so yeah. it does depend on the client and also I've been getting more confident with that that part of my voice um this all sort of I mean I have COVID to thank for this because just sitting with this stuff um I think we all had to sort of you know hustle and figure out like what what are we doing when we're at home and um, the economy was different. Everything was so different. Like, how do we, um, do what we do from this space? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, many, many people are feeling that in different fields, but having that, there are a couple of things. Um, but I think the, the main thing is I was hearing a lot about, think about how much space you're taking up, like mm-hmm. the space you're taking up. So that can be right in a conversation. Mm-hmm. It can be, mm-hmm in a room. And the way it kind of came to me was in terms of what I'm making. Like if I'm doing a book and it's taking up shelf space, it's taking up space on a publisher's list of books they're putting out that year, Mm. which is limited, right? Like what kind of space am I actually taking up? And I I actually cried about this because I was working Mm. on a book at a time. And I told my publisher, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm the best person to be doing this. And she's like, you are. Mm. But I felt like maybe somebody else 
should be, should have that space. So I finished that project and I just decided kind of moving forward, like I really needed to think about what that space looked like. And it did mean that I needed to look at some things that I hadn't been sharing and I hadn't been sharing my Jewish experience um, because um, it was something that it was scary for me, honestly. Yeah. Like I said, this is something I sat with in COVID too. There were, there was, um, there were a couple of Zooms I, I was in talking about, you know, anti-racism and, and all, you know, the, how we're structured as a society. And there was one point where we were talking about, um, a whole group of ways that you might not be seen, that you might not have access to things that you might be lower on the cast. And it was everything from, um, you know, ability to English as a second language to, um, skin color to, um, every like, uh, sexuality, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and religion wasn't on there and it was such a beautiful, it was a beautiful group of people. It was led by yoga instructors. It was very, what was even more interesting is that I was afraid to say something in that, that space. I was afraid to say, um, Hey, what about religion? Because I know as somebody who's Jewish, like I've been left out of many things, um, I've experienced yeah. a lot of stuff from childhood um, where I didn't have access to things because I was Jewish, um, all sorts of stuff. So yeah. I had, kind of had to look at myself and be like, why were you, why were you scared? And I just started thinking about like how I was raised with grandparents who escaped the Holocaust and family yeah. that was killed in the Holocaust and how they always like, I always felt like um, they had one foot, like one, one bag packed and one foot ready mm-hmm. to go, um, mm-hmm. which I totally understand. But when you're, you're a small kid and you feel that and you don't really know what to do with that, um, it becomes fear. And then also um, being Jewish presents itself with an interesting um, thing, because unless I'm wearing a Jewish star on my neck or mm-hmm. people know me well, you don't know I'm Jewish. So I also growing up would hear a lot of things because people would say things in front of me, not knowing I was Jewish. So that, and I didn't know how to speak to it when I was little. So it yeah. became part of my identity and the fear was part of my identity. So I just spent a lot of time with that during COVID and, and I also, and then, and I was recognizing like, there's not a lot of like fun Jewish stuff out there. Like there's mm-hmm. like a handful of people, um, shout out to Jonathan Adler, who yeah. has been, um, somebody I've looked up to for a long time. Like he did like really cool menorahs, but very few people in the space of like from home deck to you know, books. Yeah. That were doing like really cool things. So I'm like, there's definitely a space here. And it just means I need to start stepping out of that comfort zone um, and just speaking to it. So I started really slowly on Instagram. And um, and this is why I have a conversation with a lot of people because they talk about like sharing on Instagram mm-hmm. and everybody's different. Like I really admire the people that can share themselves and stuff they're going through in real time. I am not that kind of person. <laughs> like I am, I don't know how to do that. Um, yeah. So I just step when I'm comfortable, I step into it and I do it slowly. So I think the first thing I ever posted was just like, happy Hanukkah. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't even say that I'm Jewish. It's just like, hey, everybody, happy Hanukkah. And each time I did something, I would kind of, you know, it gave me confidence to do more. Um, yeah. And then and the biggest step was just like, okay, I got to put together um, some book ideas. Mm. And when this was happening, towards the end of COVID where I realized like I had some book ideas and then I also needed more support in my life in terms of like building my career again, because COVID had just changed so much. So I started looking for a licensing agent. And that was one of the things I talked to each agent about was this book idea. And I could tell from different people's, um, you know, their like level of excitement or confusion, if it was something that they could like get on board with and be, you know, be my advocate for, um, and yeah. there was a long, long part of that journey where I wasn't quite sure <laughs> if it was mm-hmm. the right journey because mm-hmm. I was spending a lot of time figuring it out, which was time away from other things. And yeah. I didn't know, um, what the outcome would be if my gut was right, if it was something I should be doing. Um, but I had some really good people around me saying like, keep, keep going for it, keep doing it. Um, well, and I think too, oh gosh, so many things I want to circle back to, but, um, 
when you're at the point where you're feeling like you want to find somebody to work with in whatever way that looks like, whether you're, you're getting some one-on-one support to understand where you are right now, or like you said, looking for an agent, the first experience you had with Lilla kind of fell into your lap because you took a class and there you were. And now it's exactly now it's like, I, who am I? What space do I want to fill? What kind of person would I like to support that? So you're like, it's a blank slate. You have to go, like, how do you even find the list of who those people are? And I, and I love that you said that you were interviewing them because when I consult with people who are looking for agents, I, I love to remind people that it's yeah them that is getting represented. It's you and your art and your belief system that you want to be put out into the world where your story is being told, right? And how do you even go about that? How do you even go about finding those people? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like dating, which I, I had some practice dating again in later life since I'd been through a divorce. And um, my sister was so great along the dating route because she'd be like, you know, you know, you don't have to like, stay at the meal for like two hours you can come up with like come up with some reasons why you get to leave (laughs) but when you're dating you know like you've got the kids at home or she's like it's not working out it's okay to like not hang in there for like you know (laughs) forever um so I think dating as an adult maybe helped me with that a little bit because I, you, I was such a different person when I was dating in my like forties oh than I was when I was dating, like when I was in my, you know, 18, 19 yeah. and I had certain things that I wanted and I was looking for and you, like, I learned like people tell you who they are pretty, pretty quickly. So when it was time to look for a licensing agent. I had been working with a coach mm. who pulled together a bunch of names for me. And they were from like all different kind of styles and walks of businessy. Like some of them were like people in LA who did mm-hmm. a lot of like movie licensing. But I thought that was great because it's like, okay, like I've never done this before. I come from an artist agent. This is a licensing agent where they, you know, they're going to come up with a plan or we're going to come up with a plan for the next five years and see if we can achieve these goals. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that I'm talking to all these different types of people. So my coach at the time, Kelly came up with a list for me. And then I had a couple of other people that I wanted to talk to as well. And then, you know, came up with the questions, which at that point in my career were pretty easy because I knew my focuses were like broadening how I was helping kids engage with the world. So whether that mm-hmm. was through teaching, which is a big one of mine, you know, still looking at like the idea of museums or anything interactive, like television museums, like these big, big ideas that I have. Yeah. yeah. Um, Love and that. then the book part, the publishing part, I'd kind of fallen into that too, because I'd worked with Chronicle and Stationery. And I had an idea for a book and I sent it to my stationary folks at Chronicle. Mm. They sent it to the adult group. The adult group sent it to kids and my kids editor at Chronicle. Um, she wrote me and she's like, we're not sure about this idea, but we've actually been looking at some of your work, thinking of another idea. What do you think of this Masha doing Masha as a book? And I was like, uh-huh. sure, let's do it. So that was very organic. I didn't it was my voice in the sense that it had come from stationary product that I'd done, but it wasn't like, I was still very young in mm-hmm. creatively speaking, finding my voice. So when I talked to the different licensing agents, this go around um, about publishing, I had like very specific goals. And at that mm-hmm. time it was like, I want to do world building with my characters, but first I want to address this, um, this Jewish series that I have and see what we can, what we can do with it. And Kathleen helped me. Um, So the agent that I ended up with, Kathleen, was just like excited about everything. She's like, Mm. I see your characters and I know like exactly what we can do with that. I know Mm. where we can go. And I also, um, I think this is something anybody could do. Like I asked them for a plan. Like I asked each agent to, if they could give me a plan where they see me in one year, three years and five years. Mm. Um, And, you know, a couple of people didn't get back to me. And that was, that's kind of the, answer. like after the interview, they didn't send me a plan. So that's like, yeah. okay, well, if they're busy, that's fine. Uh-huh. But that gives me information about you know where they're at right now. Um, but Kathleen was excited about everything. And she wasn't only excited, like she got it. Like she's, I knew she got it from talking to her. 
And then once we started working together, she really helped me like hone down the pitch for the Jewish board book series. And as soon as we Mm -hmm. sent it out, she got feedback like within a couple of days. I'll bet. So um, it kind of understand like the closer you get to yourself, which just takes time and your voice and your story and the more risk you take, like actually like the stronger connection people will make to something they've but it does take time. Like it's in, it's been, I mean, I tell people it's like 45 years in the making, yeah. but it's probably, you know, it's definitely at least 15 years in the making because I remember having conversations about the Jewish stuff, like early on with Lilla and, um, you know, there's like always the concern with it's such a small population of people buying it. And right now people are like, really like, it's just holiday focused. And so if you take those two parts together, like, you put Hanukkah, you know, one time a year with the population, it's like what 2% of the population. Like that's not, that's a hard, that's a hard sales pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took me time, like a long time to be like, okay, like I hear that, but maybe there is something there. Um, maybe there is space for it. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I, I think of it in a couple ways before I was actively a product development person, I made my own product and then I had a store with my mom. And I remember we were always, I could, I can go back in my visual mind and remember the menorahs available to buy. Like that company had some that were modern and artful and that was about it. You know, then there were the ones, like you said, from the fifties or the seventies or the very classic. And we always just were like, how can we bring something? We had an artful store. How can we bring something that feels artful? And then looping ahead to product development, well, we should be doing some, you know, menorahs or some Jewish related holiday things, but that's going to sell that whole conversation of, of immediately monetizing something instead of making it important for so many other reasons. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, that you were in that class or or moment in during COVID where they were talking about there was so much because of George Floyd and everything that was happening that we were we were finally talking about underrepresented cultures or people or or areas and that you didn't even feel comfortable then saying something that was so widely known but then it was still a seed and you'd obviously talked to Lila about it before I so love that you knew yourself enough and you're telling your own story that you wanted to peel back those layers. I think there's something about doing something, like you said, 15 years or whatever. It's like, no, this is still coming up for me. It's important to me. I want to get this out into the world. And I know there's other people that feel the same. And I I feel like if if anybody's listening that has a anything, you know, you have a character you've been carrying along in your, in yeah. your mind with you or a story you want to tell, like, somebody's going to want to hear that. And I just, I'm so glad that you, you hooked up with Kathleen and she believed in it, but it mainly it's ourselves, right? We have to say, no, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stand for this thing that I believe in, whether it, whatever it is, but it's scary, right? It's scary to tell that story and start to get like happy Hanukkah. You know what, what's that story (laughs) going to be? And I, I just think this conversation is such a good reminder that you just start somewhere. You start somewhere and remind yourself that it's important to you so it's important enough. Before you go, I just want to say a quick thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something useful to take away and something to make you think. For those of you listening in on Spotify, and I know there are many, you now have the cool option to show your love for Windowsill Chats quickly and easily. From the show page in the Spotify app, you can simply tap to rate it one to five stars. And of course, I'll really appreciate it too if you leave a review wherever you might be listening. See you next week, lovelies, and I hope it's a creative one.